2017, everybody. It has been a happy 2017. I refuse to hear anyone's words that say the opposite of that. Welcome to the anime podcast of some sort. I am Jack D. Tyler D. on Twitter, Jack Dalton Alistar, Rock Behind the Wheel, and gosh near anything else that you happen to call me, as long as it isn't late for dinner. I am joined by the incomparable podcast machine. David Majors, just call me DJM. How you doing, David? What's up, Jackson? Welcome, everybody, to APOS. 2017 was a year that happened. There was a yes, lot of anime. Was. There was a lot of other stuff. And we're going to do an APOS 2017 wrap-up spectacular. Uh, yes. tell, tell everybody out there in the APOS what we've got lined up. So we have 10 things, a little count down down from 10 uh much like they do when they drop the ball at new year's uh between david and myself uh 10 things that we searched for and and ruminated over and thought about and we'd like to discuss with you guys we've got games we've got anime we've got tvs movie we've got news we've got stuff about ourselves that happened throughout the year that we thought might be interesting to you guys and if it's not well why are you listening to us but let's not dwell on why and why not send god why please god why why to 2017 and focus on the rad stuff so i think we should start off the anime podcast of some sort with uh appropriately enough the a and a pos with anime so david it's been a year for anime hasn't it so Has much it? so so Has much it? so i actually watched stuff that was premiering during the season it premiered that never happens david no not i always for watch you. stuff that's at least a few years older no i know never. <laughs> i'm i've managed to get pulled into the the anime collective of doing what i can to keep up with a couple of shows every season i don't consume it all like some people but but i keep up with a few uh one in particular and i know this is going to be really bad to pick a show from the most recent season uh, to be the one that I want to highlight as far as anime goes. But this is the only anime of 2017 that I watched from start to finish and really never fell flat. And that was Inuyashiki. Oh, that's, Inuyashiki that's so shocking. Was, yeah. We've never uh, talked about Inuyashiki ever, David. We, <laughs> We've mentioned it once or twice. And yes, it is the most recent series from the most recent season, but everybody out there was in love with Yuri on Ice, and that was from late last year, so shut up. Mm -hmm. But Yashiki was... Seriously, shut up. Seriously, we, we get it. But with Yashiki, it was a show that just really hit all of my points. Just... Aesthetically, storyline-wise, character-wise, it had a beginning, middle, and end. It just worked. It had a protagonist that you couldn't help but root for. It had an antagonist that you hated and did not want to root for until the very, 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 very end, where at the last possible moment, he had his moment of redemption. And the opening theme song was good. The animation was good. It had one really good standalone episode. And in 12 episodes, Inuyashiki did such a great level of storytelling. 
in only 12 episodes that most anime never ever do. So, Inuyashiki, check it out. Yes, while Anime Strike is still around, stay tuned, kids. We might be reporting on that in the future. While mm-hmm. Anime Strike is still around, check it out. If you don't want to get Anime stri- Strike, check it out anyway. Just Inuyashiki. This was a fantastic anime. It's it's one of those shows where I know I always get this reputation of trying to find anime that isn't overly loaded with anime tropes. This show has them, but it does not lean on them and rely on them. It's it is, it's more of some of the unusual tropes I find, more narrative rather than aesthetic or otherwise. You're very unconventional characters in this, which is why it works so well, I think. And and it really really did. If you're if you even if you're just looking for something to binge watch, that's good. Inuyashiki is twelve episodes from start to finish, and I cannot recommend it highly enough in 2017. Inuyashiki. Mm-hmm. If it, everything it's, else it's from solid. anime is leaving you a little hollow, check that one out. I definitely agree about Inuyashiki. That that's the I actually described it to somebody who. Um, who was a little on the on the fence about watching it? I said it's it's the anime that has a list of bullet points that aren't bullet points. And what I meant by that is it doesn't sit there and go, well, you've got your pretty boys, you've got your representation. No, it's it takes all these kinds of conventions for characters and says, all right, listen, there's a pretty anime boy, but uh, we are going to really fuck with your earlier conventions of this we're gonna really delve deep into it not as a stereotype but as as a character which is just ultimately i want all of the anime to do because so many animes are 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 dependent on just making particularly our female characters but it happens for the males too uh just archetypes and that is absolutely the opposite of what iyashiki does and not just I am archetypes, uh, but they always try and just be as fan servicey as possible. Inuyashiki yes. didn't do that at all. And not only that... Unless you're in an old man shirtless. Unless you're into that, then hey, whatever. It's it's almost 2018. Nobody, nobody's Chef judging. don't judge. Chef don't judge. Nobody judging on APOS. But what it also did is with the case of fandom and fan service put a mirror on that as well at certain points Mm -hmm. because there were points in the series where people thought that the antagonist of this show uh, he was gaining a fandom he was gaining a following and he didn't really care about that and he killed them too and Mm -hmm. to me that is the idea of the whole concept of fandom and fan service being flipped on its head and that was something that really spoke to me because it's uh, too it's many not to times say that obsessive fandom just gets out of control I, I i agree it's not to say that death note didn't do this well but this is almost an even more uh realistic approach to how that could happen i would think 
because it's a it's a similar kind of situation, but it's met with more skepticism and uh, negative things as opposed to it's Kira. Everybody loves Kira except for the police force that's trying to find Kira. So that that was what went through my head about that particular thing. But it's definitely got something to say about uh, about obsessive fan base, and that's what's interesting. I had a couple, uh, along with Inuyashiki, that I really enjoyed. Uh, It's a little bit slim pickings for me, but I did have some things that really surprised me. And one of those things was a show about gem people. That's right, David. I come back around the second time on Steven... No. Had to have one more dig before 2017's over. But Land of the Lustrous, everybody. Um, It's no surprise from anyone who's listened to me for even two seconds about animation that I immensely prefer hand-drawn stuff. CGI, especially in animes, always kind of turned me off a little bit. Even in Inuyashiki, where they use it for uh, purposes to create vast level of detail, it just always rubbed me the wrong way. Just just out of a, a level of, uh, you know, I understand it's why it's there for cost-effectiveness, but it always bugs me. I'm a big purist. I, I will fully admit that. But what I didn't expect was to find an entire show, which I have now completed upon this recording, uh, that was entirely done in CG, and that is Land of the Lustrous. Uh, this show is very beautiful, and I was not, I was, I was not expecting that. When I saw stills of it, it looks so, so much like drawn because they've taken the time to really make sure that their camera angles and the way that they're animating the characters works and that they've got good textures and line work on everything and it works for the fact that they have these gem-like textures because they are sentient rocks in a way that makes sense (laughs) in a way that makes sense Um, i will say this jack jack i will say this I did a quick catch-up of that other show with the Space Rocks, J- just because oh, yeah? Cartoon Network has has it on demand. I I watched a few episodes just to get caught up, just for knowledge purposes. Yeah, they are actually moving on with the plot. No, they're not. No, they're not. They are. Well, no, they I know what you're talking about, and they're not. That's it's not anymore. Because then they they do the thing you're talking about that I'm pretty sure where it becomes Ace Attorney for a second. And then they're like, yeah, but now we're back on Earth. Then it's status. Yeah, I was going to say, and, and here's they some random that you don't They were moving along with the plot, but then they moved back to Earth. Yeah. But here's the thing even though, even though this show about the sentient rocks exists and people think that things are happening, I'd, I'd like to point out that nothing really happened anyway. They just give you a new villain that doesn't have any sense of urgency. So, you know, nothing's happening there. And while I would say that there is an equally, maybe not equally, but there is a very slow pace for the 12 episode uh, first season. I assume it's the first season because they haven't even touched uh, volume three of the manga yet as far as um, what other fans are telling me. Uh, There is still stuff going on, but just the way it's paced is very slow but stuff does happen characters change our protagonist holy shit does our protagonist change and i would 
highly recommend if you can manage to just be a little patient, maybe for two, three episodes. I know when I talked about it before, I said, hey, I hate being the guy that says it's it, it gets better or you got to wait. But you really do. And it's really worth because it all looks really great. And you do get some interesting plot. It is very interesting. And then, of course, David, there was uh, something that returned that uh, the first season round, I didn't watch it while it was premiering, but this one I am up to date on, and that is Osamatsu-san Season 2. They're taking their New Year's break as of right now, and uh, I think it's picking up. I think it's picking up. A lot of people, you know, some of our uh, friends on Twitter and such have mentioned how it's a little bit uh, under par for what the first... uh, season was doing but i'd like to remind people that at the beginning of the first season you can't tell who is who if you haven't seen these characters before because they all wear the same clothes and that kind of messes with the engagement of it i I think it's time for a referendum on something because earlier today as we were recording this i was on uh what's cooking with my my friend jackie hearn and she had watched star trek discovery And the discussion of, uh, as you said, being that guy that has to say, just wait, uh, that came up when it came to Star Trek Discovery, as well as the Star Trek franchise as a whole. So I'm, I'm putting a referendum on the idea of having to watch a few episodes before it gets good. Because as I said, the first season of what is arguably the most beloved Star Trek series, The Next Generation, the first season of that show is pretty bad. It's pretty bad. Most Star Trek devotees will tell you Star Trek The Next Generation really doesn't hit its stride until the middle of season two, or as some might say, when Commander Will Riker grows his beard. So, I feel like in the case of Osumatsu-san and, and Land of the Lustrous, and really any anime or any show, really, that sometimes I think it's okay to say that. Because sometimes, well, a lot of times, shows need time to world build and introduce characters, which is what's happening with Discovery, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Sometimes shows yes. really do need time. If you do watch and you get introduced to the characters and you see how things form in the plot and then it does get better, that's okay. I don't think the disclaimer for that is necessary anymore. Uh, People don't read books and skip to chapter three. No, they don't. Sometimes the first couple of chapters, you you have to get things going and, and turn the wheel a little bit sometimes that happens and it's okay so if you do skip yes. chapters in books at me jack d tyler d the fuck is wrong with you that's, that's <laughs> kind of weird it's a little weird it's a little weird i mean chef don't judge at the end of the day you know what though i will drop our positivity pretense i, I do agree with what you're saying however david i'd also like to point out that there is also an opposite to that which is having too much setup you know maybe maybe two three even four or five episodes of establishment at times can be okay but you know what i don't appreciate doki doki literature club is an entire game campaign 
And then you drop the bomb. And it's not even a good bomb. It's not. I'm sorry. If you're playing Doki Doki Literature Club, I'd like you to stop. Because you got what you paid for. And that game is free. So Sounds, sounds like one of those <laughs> things that I would... I wouldn't necessarily judge people for, but I would be a little bit concerned. Sound like one of those things where I'd have to put out one of those serious tweets I do where I say, guys, this whole thing about Doki Doki Literature Club, it's... Can we stop? I'm seeing the gifts, I'm seeing the screenshots, and I'm a little concerned. It sounds like one of those things, is it? Uh, The fact that it's... the, The fact that it's supposed to be a deconstruction of this because... The creator has, uh, I believe it's an American or otherwise uh, not Japanese, has criticisms about the dating sim genre. I'm, I'm actually going to go ahead and spoil it. So real big spoilers. Uh, you play an entire dating sim campaign. And then at the end of it, main girl kills herself because she admits to you that she's been depressed. And um, I slagged this, David. They, they do a fairly decent description of depression and what it can do to you. But that's not enough. That's not enough. Because then it just becomes fake scary. It's a creepypasta game, David. They'll crash your game. They'll delete files, corrupt things, whatever you feel like. And uh, the really concerning thing, David, is that it was meant to be this big criticism of dating sims and, you know, these sexual content style games. And it's getting a fan base of people who want to date the girls for realsies. Well, so, you're never, uh, never going to stop horny fanboys and fangirls. You're never going to stop true. them. It's true. But I'd like to say, guys, think about it for just one moment. You played a five-hour visual novel to get to, quote-unquote, the good stuff. When you could watch uh, an, less than two hours uh, of any... Land of the Lustrous, or even even a season of Osamatsu-san, take your pick, and laugh out loud, weep, uh, become totally enthralled in a in an environment, whatever you pick, take your pick. Uh, in any case, actually, since you did mention Star Trek Discovery, let's just skip on to that because I do want to know what you think about that because that sounded like something that made David really happy. Uh, okay, so uh, Star Trek Discovery. Let's... Star Trek Discovery. Uh, This was the one thing in the world of television that I was really holding on to while Into the Badlands is on its breaking going into 2018. Uh, Everyone knows the Star Trek franchise just recently celebrated its 50th anniversary. And the premiere of Star Trek Discovery uh, was on CBS, and it has been airing uh, Sunday nights on CBS All Access. Overall, for... A Star Trek series, it is safe to say that this is the best first season of a Star Trek series to date. Star Trek series have a reputation for having really bad first seasons. Star Trek Discovery is the exception. The first two episodes, the pilot, where we're introduced to Michael Burnham and Captain Philippa Giorgio, played by Michelle Yeoh, uh, that two part pilot was absolutely phenomenal it was the star trek movie i have been waiting for since the reboot started and it was <laughs> simply phenomenal and You're trying to tell me in- you didn't like zachary Quinto as 
Is Mr. Spock? Oh, he wasn't the problem at all. He's not the problem. Okay. No, no, not at all. Uh, but going on with the series, it was the first TV series in a long time that genuinely made me excited to watch the next episode. And they were released week to week, so you couldn't binge watch them or watch them a la carte until they were all out on demand. So the first nine episodes of season one uh, all premiered Sunday nights like like a terrestrial TV show, and I loved it. It gave me a newfound appreciation for what it was like to have that with something like The Walking Dead, where it premieres Sunday night. You can go back and watch, sure, but the new episodes, if you've caught up, the new episodes are Sunday night. With Discovery, finding out about Michael Burnham and what's going on in her head, Captain Lorca being this crazy warmonger of a captain that has never been seen in Star Trek before, Lieutenant Stamets being the overly intelligent, arrogant shitbird that he is until he has his moment of enlightenment. And, and then he becomes, well, enlightened. He, he literally sees the entire universe. So he, he's, he's enlightened. Uh, the, the character that seems to have become the favorite of a lot of people, uh, Cadet Sylvia Tilly, uh, yes, while she does check off the classic DJM redhead checkbox, she really annoys me, but not everybody in Star Trek can be cool. She she does great on me a little bit. She does have a little bit of that awkward enthusiasm where there have been a few times where uh, Michael Burnham, played by Sonequa Martin-Green, uh, looks over at her with just the stop-talking face. <laughs> I, I call it the stop-talking face. And credit to Tilly, she figures it out. A couple of times. It's like, okay, too many words, too many words. I'm done. And well, thank goodness. I, I've I've been on both sides of that. Uh, I've been on the the too many words side, and I've also been on the glaring stop talking face side. So I appreciate Tilly. Uh, there are a few other characters on the bridge of the Discovery that haven't quite been totally fleshed out yet. But the Star Trek website recently started making a note of introducing all of the actors that have not had their characters totally fleshed out yet. So for everyone that's saying, well, we don't know who these people are. We are nine episodes into the first season of the show. Oh my God. Give it some time. Give it, give it some time. If they're doing these things where they're introducing us to the actors it probably means that they're going to have a little bit more about the characters. So give it mm-hmm. some time. And I say again, it is episode nine of season one. Like that that's not even a full anime season, and people are saying, Well, we don't know anything. It's yes. Nine episodes. My God. But overall, you I would can't say, tell me that anyone Go ahead. You can't tell me that anyone who first watched The Next Generation uh, knew everything about Picard from the beginning. Come on, please. Oh, of course not. Because it's nine episodes. Right. It's, we're nine episodes into the first season. 
But I guess that's a good thing because people are excited. People are excited for Star Trek Discovery. People are excited for Star they Trek Jackson. That, yes. Ah, that, that makes me so happy because I, now, I love Star Trek and I love everything it represents and stands for. To hear you, to hear you tweet about it and uh, from what others have been telling me, this, this is made by people who care about Star Trek. That seems very evident. So... I'd like you to maybe elaborate on that, if you could. Just let me know. Well, it definitely has people that going. care about the show. Uh, I know Brian Fuller is one of the early executive producers. Uh, he worked huh. with J.J. Abrams on the movies yes. of the reboot, so he's he's definitely involved. I don't know how much of some of the old guard, like Brennan Braga, and some of the old Paramount guard that worked on the old Star Trek TV series are involved Look, take that however you will. Uh, but I feel like right now, as it stands, there's a lot of discussion about what from the past Star Trek series could be brought into Discovery. And right now, we have a character by the name of Harry Mudd, who makes a few appearances in the original series. Jack, I think you would really like Harry Mudd. I think that'd be a character you would really enjoy. Uh also, we have Sarek, uh, the Vulcan ambassador, who is the father of Spock, who was also the main character, Michael Burnham's uh, surrogate father. Uh, so th- there are little f- splashes here and there of connections to Star Trek as a whole, but I don't think it necessarily <laughs> needs to be totally... I'm sorry. Yeah. I Google imaged Harry Mudd. <laughs> oh, yeah. Jack, oh, I, that's amazing. If you watch the original series, if you ever watch it, I think you'll like Harry Mudd in there, definitely. Uh, but I think you'll, <laughs> if you do check out Discovery, he, he's it's played by Rain Wilson, and he's great. He's absolutely great. I, I enjoy this. <laughs> the mustache. Yes. Um, that it. You know what? I, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, uh, you know, from what passing... Uh, relationship i have had with star trek every experience i've had with it has been pretty aces because it isn't a story about space adventure it's a story about the relationships between the people yes and their peoples in space adventure yes yes someone understand they understand i mean i wanted to bring up the quote uh that was in regards to the writing on Star Trek, uh, when you mentioned Inuyashiki and uh, how we empathize with um, our main antagonist, is uh, in Star Trek there was there was uh, the axiom that uh, there are no villains, just people with really really bad childhoods, and that really that that dawned on me when you were talking about it. So yeah, it it, it sounds like everyone's been having a lot of fun with Discovery, and uh, you know I do have some Trekkie friends who tend to uh, pull me to the side as I pull them aside to watch the JoJo's. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is your last JoJo's Bizarre Adventure drinking game. Please, if you are imbibing, imbibe some more. Uh, But that being said, uh, you know, I will be happy for them to to drag me into that if they will. I won't consider it dragging. I will walk alongside I do believe CBS All Access is still on a free trial basis right uh-huh. now. so i believe you can binge watch it uh the new uh 
the mid-season break for Discovery uh, is ending very soon. January 8th, as a matter of fact, just this coming Sunday, uh, right after New Year's. So, yeah, if if you guys out there, Jack, if you're interested uh, in Discovery, now's the time to check it out. And if you do, please at me, at just call me DJM. Please, 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 I will talk Star Trek for as long as it takes for humanity to develop the warp drive. <laughs> so I'm I'm all about it. So right now as it stands, I'm very high on Discovery. I'm very high on Star Trek Discovery. I'm I'm looking forward to where it goes from here. And I already know it got renewed for season two, so onward and upward. Engage. Could go where no no APOS has ever gone before. Because there were no APOSs before us. Uh, I'd like to point out some things. Uh, this is a little bit on the side of uh, the ugly, but there are there is some positive news. Is uh, in in the realm of TV, the internet TV, where we don't have the experience of breaks between episodes because you can just binge the whole thing however you please. Uh, there were some questionable content put out by. Newt Flukes this year. Uh, you know, we had the infamous uh, Death Note film, which um, I will still say Willem Dafoe is the highlight of that. And um, there was most recently there was Bright, which is meeting a lot of critical failure, uh, despite being a pretty interesting concept. I'd still say to people who, who, uh, who are intrigued by it at the very least take a look at it just for the sake of conversation because it's something to experience i'd say that much uh so maybe it's the one time that i go well you know despite the fact that it's not very good it's still worth taking a look at and not in the disaster artist the room kind of way uh shout outs to tommy was stay cool James franco's getting nominated for an oscar for that uh uh, it's worth it. I don't know how uh, well versed you are in the room, David, but that is a hundred percent how Tommy Wiseau is. He I, that is no, spot I, on. I complete no. You're absolutely right. I'm just I'm just surprised that he did so well, James uh, Franco. He did that so well. He he certainly acted the part better than he directed the movie. I'd say that much. The movie wasn't egregiously bad. It's just um, I think that there was some. Uh, just it was very subpar in terms of cinema photography, all that kind of things. There could be some different twists and turns that, uh, not twists and turns in plot wise, but uh, there could have been a little bit more dynamic way to uh, shoot certain scenes. There was a lot of shot reverse shot and things like that. But Disaster Artist, really great performance. So uh, take a look at that in uh, in passing. But there was there was something. There was something that I think we've put to death, David, and I just like to dance on its grave a little bit uh, because there was a small surge of people joking and memeing about it, but it looks like it is well and officially dead. It doesn't seem like there was an actual fan base for this like we had feared, and that was Neo Yokio, uh, Jaden yes. Smith's self-insert anime fanfic, and somehow he got so many actors involved. Like Jason Marsden, Susan Sarandon, Jude Law. And I'm sure they had a very Merry Christmas this year. <laughs> because I'm sure that, that 
line there while it's some. But Neo Yokio, I haven't heard a, a whole lot since uh, since its initial release and people joking about the big Toblerones. And uh, I'd like to pat ourselves on the back for that, David, because I, I'm not normally one. I'm not normally not one for self-aggrandizement. But I think it's safe to say that the anime podcast of some sort, Jack and myself, we tore Neo Yokio a new one. We put a curse on it. We put a hex on it and its house. And it kind of flopped. And I'm okay with that. It's dead. It's dead. I I certainly, certainly am hoping that uh, everyone who was responsible for that casting crew is uh is alive and well but not alive and well enough to uh execute another season of Neo no. Yokio. I'd be very happy people, with that. People it's time to start telling Jaden Smith no. It, it Whatever please. ideas he comes up with. It's time for somebody to start telling him no. It's it's time to tell him that the image underscore one ninety four shot JPEG didn't go through. We have to tell him that we could not take a look at this, y'all. Please do that. Please help him. And his dad's not going to do it because he made, he's on Bright. He made oh. Bright, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Netflix, what are you doing? Well, oh, there God, is one thing. Jack, I just realized. Yes. What? Remember on, on that episode where I said that Jaden has not gotten any of his talent from either of his parents, Will or Jada? Oh my oh no. God! Jaden is making Will Smith worse. No, no, you have to cast him out. Oh my God! Get rid of him. Think about it. Everything after, pretty much after Earth, everything Will Smith has done has been really not good. Now, was Men in Black three after After Earth? Because I would, I would oh, assert that question. that was actually a decent film yeah men people in black don't 3 believe was right. me men in black 3 Pe- was good yeah, people don't was. believe me when i tell them that i i cried during that but the it's a it's a time travel story god damn it those are gonna make you cry and you've got I, james brolin doing uh, the best impression of tommy lee curtis that was so good tommy lee jones tommy lee jones <laughs> not tommy lee curtis wow <laughs> jamie it's okay it's okay. I know I've I've confused Kenny Loggins and Kenny Rogers before, so I will, you know, chef don't judge. You know what was good on Netflix, David, and is getting Jackson. yet another season after the 2017 season drop it had that was Bojack Horseman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. I know we've uh we batted about about it and how it's uh, you know, it's very much depression and all that kind of situation but if if you'll indulge it's having depression and being near middle age <laughs> that too and also uh, yeah. and also you have to deal with hollywood's bullshit that's right it's hollywood because someone stole the d from the hollywood sign and they didn't replace it so it's hollywood but i'd like to if you'll indulge me guys i do want to first of all just talk about it a little bit in general and then mention one what is so uh what what makes season four probably the best standalone season uh that you could actually hop into that and pretty much understand what was going on even though this show is completely built on good writing and continuity is i've realized now when people talk about 
I don't want to relate to Bojack. We're not Bojack, that kind of thing. But you still want him succeed and it's it's baked right into the fact that it is a tv show david because your general premise of bojack horseman is he was basically horse john stamos he was on a show where he had three orphans and everything was cheesy and there were laugh tracks and there was uh music musical bumps and everything was good after they faded into commercial at the end of 20 minutes and he doesn't get that in the 20 minutes that you spend with him each episode in BoJack Horseman, the show. And the fact that you are watching it and the way that they're framing these stories, these B-plots, these ridiculously convoluted animal puns and rhyming and alliteration and all that clever wordplay that Seth MacFarlane, MacFarlane hopes that he would ever dream to write, you get a heartbreaking experience. But the the way that they bring you down that, that road, the entertainment, the laughs, because there are laughs, people, it makes it all the more heartbreaking because you do want those 20 minutes to end with a good situation. You don't want people to die at the end of it. You don't want a wham line. You don't want people to get fired. You don't want a million dollars that are destined to go to charity to be lit on fire and dropped into a flaming chasm. You don't want that. But you get that with BoJack Horseman. And that's when I realized that we don't see ourselves in Bojack, but we place our hopes in him because we want him to succeed. It was the same feeling I'm seeing people talk about with Luke Skywalker at the end of The Last Jedi. He's very, very much a symbol of what happened kind of situation. Like, oh, God, the time. Where does it go? Kind of situation. And while I personally haven't seen The Last Jedi, I think it's almost uh, a similar feeling to that of how you see this person that you've come to know and appreciate and respect and maybe even love. And, uh, you know, things just don't work out the way that you always want them to. And time changes people. Time it changes absolutely you. changes people. Uh, David, I, I, don't, I don't even know uh, if, if Bojack is a thing you partake in. I wasn't even. I've dabbled. Uh, I've yeah. dabbled, but I'm going to really put something out there uh, because I I've only dabbled with BoJack Horseman because, quite frankly, I'm a little afraid of it because I am a little worried that it might hit a little too close to home. And everything that I've heard about people that have taken BoJack Horseman in full and everything I've read and seen related to BoJack Horseman, I know it is a good show that I probably will watch at some point, but I think right now I'm still in a place and in a headspace to where I'm just not quite ready to dive into a show like this head-on, just because it might hit a little too close to home for me, and I'm not quite there yet. So that is, sometime in the future, definitely, but only right now I've dabbled with BoJack Horseman. Just a little. That is 100% understandable. I've definitely had that situation with other shows. Um, and, and what I would say, though, is season four, if and when you get to it, David, is perhaps the most uh, comedically charged 
aside from the first season, because the first season's very much, okay, guys, hear us out. We're about to take you down a dark road, but first, here's some cutaway gags and similar writing and pacing to Family Guy, only a hundred times better. But they they ease you into it, and then maybe episode four, you're depressed. But season four is interesting because there's an entire B-plot, which also has a lot of interesting political commentary, where... Uh, Bojack's rival, the golden Labrador, Mr. Peanut Butter, is running for governor and accidentally places himself on the pro-fracking side of the issue. And his wife, uh, the liberal Diane Nguyen, is totally not okay with that. And you get this entire plot of that, which, given that it's Mr. Peanut Butter rather than a character like Todd or Bojack, is fairly fairly comedic instead of the other situations and then uh i think that the 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 main plot with bojack himself and the characters that he's interacting with some new people some uh new relationships is probably the most uh self-contained season so far they did a really good job they certainly outdid themselves and before we move on to other stuff other media other apos things of 2017 i'd like to make something very clear not only did apos kill neo yokio but jack himself was predicted the future i was emailing a friend of mine about how i wanted to use a particular song by saints motel cold cold man in an animated music video because we both do animation and we're pretty passionate about it. And I said, I kind of want something like that first person tracking shot they have in Bojack Horseman, where you're following him and the camera stays on him. It tracks his face and his movements. I want something like that. And in about May 2017, when they were advertising that September, they were going to drop season four of Bojack Horseman. What was playing over the commercial but Cold Cold Man by Saint Motel. I don't know how they did. I don't know who did. But somebody owes me all the royalties for that. And uh, you can contact me at Jack D. Tyler D. For predicting the future. Because someone's been stealing my dreams. All jokes aside. Uh, it's been a good year for TV. In many Has respects. Been. And... I'm glad BoJack Horseman is being renewed and is being brought back, but I want to talk about uh, the Netflix show that caught my attention in 2017 that unfortunately is not coming back. And this was yet another sci-fi show with a super passionate fan base that managed to convince the folks at Netflix to make a movie as a finale uh, that is soon to come. Uh, and that show is Sense8. Uh, this show uh, was the brainchild of none other than the Wachowski siblings, the duo behind the Matrix trilogy. So, again, I'm staying right kind of in my... I'm staying in my lane, people. I'm not delving too far. I, I like my sci-fi. What can I say? But Sense8 was a fantastic 
production uh, about these people who have this connection with one another from all parts of the world. They exist in the same time and space, and they're from different parts of the world, and there were men, there were women, there were people from, there was a dude from Africa, there was a girl from India, there was a girl from Norway, there was a cop from Chicago, uh, there was a, a transgender woman who was a hacker in Los Angeles, and they all had this wild connection with one another because it was supposed to be the the next phase of human evolution and there was this organization that was out to wipe them out because they thought that these people were a little too powerful it was it was really really incredible and it was a show for people that really care about things like character diversity and having things where you see people from all walks of life interacting with one another it hit all of those marks uh it was a little graphic at times with with certain things that were well past tv ma for sure it's a little graphic it's a little graphic but at the same time it was just a really cool sci-fi suspense show um unfortunately it only ended up with two seasons and the upcoming movie, but it was a really good show that I hope everyone would give a fair shot. It is a little graphic, but everything about it is so fascinating. The characters are really fun to root for uh, in their own unique way, even the ones that aren't the nicest people. Uh, you root for them in a certain way because you hope that the connection they have with the others might change them. You see amazing locations. You see the streets of Chicago. You see Delhi, India. You see you see um, the capital of Kenya, Nairobi. You see the northern parts of Scandinavia. You see just these amazing places all over the world. And I think the one failure that Sense8 had was that the Wachowskis dared to dream big. They truly, truly, truly shot for the moon. They shot for Jupiter with Sense8. And as I saw someone say on the internet when the announcement of its cancellation came about... It was Sense8 was a show on a Game of Thrones budget, but it was not getting Game of Thrones ratings. And when I saw that, my initial anger over the show being canceled really subsided because given how many actors were involved and how much travel was involved and the special effects and everything that took place in the show... When I heard that the show per episode was on a Game of Thrones budget, it was like, oh, oh, yeah, okay, I, I understand. And then early in the year when you hear Netflix running up up to $20 billion of debt, and that was also like, oh, oh, so that's why Sense8 got canceled. Oh, that's tragic. I see. I see. And 
it it is going to get a movie, which is fantastic. But sometimes you shoot for the moon. Sometimes you don't always land. So I, I want to give one final shout out to Sense Eight and one figurative middle finger to every terrible Netflix movie and Neo Yokio that got made instead of another season of Sense Eight. That is a shame. Uh, I definitely really appreciated the uh, the concept. So um, with that recommendation, David, it does sound like something. I could enjoy. And it's on Netflix, people, so it's easy. If you got access to Netflix, you can take a look at it. Two seasons and a movie coming up. Sense eight. And that's act I, I remember it's uh it's the word sense, no space, and then the number number eight right. on term. Sense eight. So it's real easy. Real easy to look up. Um, I did remember one uh other little thing I forgot to mention from the side of internet videos not necessarily television before we got into some more uh news and mainstream stuff i completely forgot about this uh sadly uh this year the celebrity deaths continued and we we've lost two great voice actors for animated television and that is i'm gonna throw tony rosato and harvey Atkin. third yes yes uh, the third that I'm going to throw in, uh, not just for his voice talent, but just as a, a character actor and a stand-up comedian, uh, the incomparable Charlie Murphy as well. Yes. Yes. We've lost many people. And um, in in particular, there was a way that uh, the internet, YouTube, and uh, animation uh, community honored Tony Rosato and Harvey Atkin because, David, if these names aren't familiar to you, Tony Rosato was the voice of Luigi in the Super Mario television series, and Harvey Atkin was the voice of Koopa. He was also the voice of Sam in Sam and Max Freelance Police. Uh, Both very unique voice talents, and uh, they were honored this year by uh, a reanimation project that I wanted to also and uh, so people could check out it's a uh, complete reanimation of everyone's favorite mimetic uh, television episode from the Super Mario Brothers Super Show, and that is Mama Luigi. So those of you who still stuck around after the 2006 YouTube poop explosion, that's kind of a terrible term. But if you remember any of those, uh, the remixing and the remaking of uh, this kind of content it typically all stemmed back from the hotel mario game and from mama luigi in particular and it is a very surreal experience to watch this whole thing because there seemed to be no guidelines beholden to anybody who worked on this project there were 227 animators making over 250 shots uh in this project and it gets weird, Dave. There is the obligatory JoJo reference. Uh, there are sexy Luigi's flying across the screen. Yoshi becomes some kind of a mongoloid at some point. There's even some really interesting uh, rotoscoping and uh, even a sequence that was drawn on a whiteboard and then uh, photographed in sequence, recreating the shot. And uh, I just say to anybody who did appreciate 
you know, some of the voice talent that we lost this year. I'd say it's it's a very interesting tribute and also just a very interesting project. And I'm glad that it was completed this year because that kind of project takes a long time to organize and to create. So uh, I'd highly recommend it. You can find it on YouTube. Uh, if you search Mama Luigi Reanimate or Mama Luigi Project, you'll likely find it. So take a look at that. And someone also compiled a uh, comparison where you can watch the original episode side by side. So you can really see how uh, how far they twisted it from its original concept. There was also a, some some movies this year, David. But there was yes, one in particular. The one. Um, uh, I, I did want to, if yes. I may, Jack, just for yes. a minute. Uh, just to go back to Charlie Murphy for a second. Please uh, do. In his own right, uh, he... He was a scene stealing type of talent, uh, whether it was as Ed Wunsler the uh, Third on the Boondocks, uh, whether it was uh, in uh, as Vince on Black Jesus, one of the few things from Adult Swim in recent memory that was really worth the time and effort. Uh, th- this was a guy who was remarkably talented, and. It takes a lot of talent and really good comedic timing uh, as a voice actor and as a stand-up and just as a personality and a storyteller to be a guy that could step out of the shadow of your brother, who is arguably one of, if not the best stand-up comedians of his generation in Eddie Murphy. And in those last few years, Charlie Murphy became a legitimate star in his own right a a headlining star a a voice actor that people sought after uh, and a guy you would hear on every radio show and podcast out there all from the stories he would tell that all started with his story about Rick James and the entertainment world lost a genuine star uh, this year uh, to leukemia in Charlie Murphy. So uh, I would say that one still resonates with me pretty hard because so much of his work and so much of the stuff he was involved in uh, really plays uh, with my demographic and just throughout history, going all the way back to Coming to America, which he co-wrote with Eddie and had a bit part in uh, as a character actor, as a voice actor, as a stand-up, as a podcast, a radio personality. Charlie Murphy was a giant, and, and he will be sorely, sorely missed. Just check out all of his work. I absolutely re- agree with that. And there was one more. I keep forgetting, David. There's a lot of deaths. Um, I promise this is the last one, people. I promise. But um, how could I possibly forget you know, being such a fan of animation as I am, uh, the legendary voice actress June Foray has unfortunately passed this year as well. Um, most well known as the voice for Granny in the Tweety Bird shorts, among several other things, such as um, Disney's witch character uh, and the grandmother in Mulan, various, various actress, uh, characters. And um, she was 99. And, uh, that's another big loss. So Charlie Murphy, June Foray, Harvey Atkin, 
Tony Rosado. Uh, we deeply miss you and what you've contributed to media over the years. Uh, and speaking of really great media, there was something really early on in the year, David, that I remember we mentioned a little bit during an APOS, and I'd like to come back to it and really celebrate it because, boy, did the rest of the year not meet up with the tone of February 2017. I speak, of course, of uh, the release of the Lego Batman movie. This was all kinds of good things for me and for all kinds of audiences. This really was good. This is not just a good Batman. It's it's not just a good movie, a good animated movie. It's a great Batman movie, too, that just so happens to be populated by bricks. And I'd say Will Arnett, which incidentally is the voice of BoJack Horseman, uh, does a great reprisal. As you may remember, in 2014, he was the voice of Batman in uh, the Lego movie proper. And uh, he, he does a great job with the character in a protagonist spot. I was also really surprised that to find out that Michael Sarah was Robin in this release. I did not know mind. that, David. That blew it, he my emotes. Mind. He he has emotion and inflection in his voice. He acts. Maybe he had an egg with mayonnaise on it or something. Get his energy up. <laughs> that's a little bit too much of <laughs> that's a little bit too obscure of a reference there. Well, uh and and Zach Galifianakis, um, I know I had some friends. I've continued to show this this movie to people because it is really worth any DC fan to take a look at, uh, just for the references alone, but also for the fact that the portrayals of these characters is for the first major uh, film release, not counting something like uh, Batman and Harley Quinn that only had like limited re- theatrical release, but... Uh, an, a genuine, you know, blockbuster winter 2017 film release. This was uh, this was a very must-see kind of a DC film because since The Dark Knight Rises, this is a different uh, kind of yes. portrayal for these characters. Yes, yes, yes. I would be Miss Jackson if I did not give a tip of the hat to Doug Benson in the Lego movie. And his portrayal mm-hmm. of Bane. Mm-hmm. Now, I will say, Jack, that I hold the Nolan Batman movies in the highest of regard. And I will defend the, I. Dark, the Dark Knight Rises until the end of time. And I loved Tom Hardy's Bane. As but I, I also appreciate Doug Benson's Bane voice. And for <laughs> him to get this role in the Lego movie... And to do so well, and for it to just work and fit, and to have the comedic timing while still having the voice, which which <laughs> I love, it, it has to be noted. This was one of those things where it was DC and Warner Brothers embracing a meme and, and embracing something <laughs> that was a little silly and not taking itself too seriously. And that should be respected. I mean, from the beginning, they are letting you know that this is not going to be a reverent look at Batman. Because they start off questioning the Joker with 
Well, what about that time with the two boats? Did that succeed? Well, what about that time with the parade and the Prince music? Did that succeed? They just throw it at you from the beginning and then uh, toss you into this menagerie of villains. There's also another particular uh, casting choice that really made me extremely happy, David, and that was the casting choice for Two-Face. Uh, as as DC fans might know, uh, for the first two uh, Batman films, Batman 1989 and Batman Returns, there was uh, a character for uh, for Harvey Dent, and uh, the actor was Billy D. Williams, and he was doing an excellent job building up this character, and the tension that he felt as uh, the district attorney of Gotham, Gotham City, especially when all of this business was going around, you know, he was, I, I always pull people's attention to uh, the the last big scene he has when all the newscasters are swarming him after Danny DeVito has laid waste in Batman Returns, and he's just speechless, and you can see the acting, you can really tell that Billy D. Williams is really establishing that this guy is not doing well mentally and he goes I, I i don't have any comment he's so good in just that one line and that one scene and then as we know batman forever came along which is still a silly enjoyable movie but unfortunately billy d williams was replaced for his role of two-face by tommy lee jones now in the lego batman movie they have billy d williams cast it's the voice of Two-Face. I would have liked if he had had more to say, but I think that's a big win for the fans. And maybe even more of a win is the fact that they basically designed his character, Two-Face's character, to look like Billy D. Williams dressed in the style of Two-Face in Batman Forever. And I really appreciated that. So a lot of little details like that in this film. It's one to be appreciated. It certainly and is. If there's one last thing I can say about it uh, that I really appreciated is it's it's no surprise to anyone who's seen the film that there is a bit of allegory there <laughs> to be found if you're looking for it. But it's not even all that uh, – it's not very subtle about it. And that is the the allegory of having the Joker-Batman rivalry as – a romantic relationship. They, they just basically, they put it out there for you. And while it is an allegory, you know, they're, they're very, they're very careful about the words they choose and everything like that. I was pretty happy that for the beginning of 2017, we had a film like this that just threw everything uh, out the window to basically tell what the execs have called it. Jerry Maguire, but with Batman, <laughs> I really appreciated that. I really appreciated that so much, David, to the point where Rosario Dawson, who does an excellent job of uh, Commissioner Gordon, Barbara Gordon in this film, uh, you know, you have the uncomfortable idea of, of, oh, we're going straight killing joke again. Uh, you know, we got we got Batman just uh pausing where he is to uh i just died in your arms tonight and then they decide okay we'll lead this up and then at the end of the film it doesn't even matter so maybe 
maybe David, maybe that was their way of kind of poking fun at the killing joke without being too uh, take that about it. The, the but, killing joke needs to be made fun of more often. It Absolutely. Without calling it out by name, to be sure. But I'm happy for what they did. And even though 2017 in film and uh, in, in, in life, in reality, didn't hold up to that very, very excellent tone that it started out with, particularly with the Lego Batman movie. I'd say that the fact that it still exists and that it's a success and that people love it and that I can continue to show it off to more people and more people will love it, Batman fans and non-Batman fans alike really says a lot and uh i will remind people that you know after the trash fire that was 2016 you know and people are going well 2017 was no cakewalk either well listen guys listen don't forget at the beginning of the year we got lego batman we got that and nothing can change the fact that we received that now Jack, we also received i, I just want yes. to say uh, to bring everybody back to Earth. Did you see Blade Runner 2049? I did. And it was decent. I still prefer the original, but I did really enjoy Blade Runner. I, I will say that for me, 2049 was probably the one movie that really stuck with me. Because it, it spoke to me on a level that was very interesting. It had... The same aesthetic that Blade Runner started, but it also felt very isolated with the main character. You get the sense of isolation from the rest of the world and, and just how how it all goes out with the conflict. And I just want to give a quick nod to Blade Runner 2049. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because if nothing else, it is aesthetically a really great looking film as well. And there were a lot of those, actually. I remember, uh, uh, oh God, I'm calling it Neon Demon in my head, and that is absolutely not what it was. Um, God, I can't think of it now. There was a movie in 2017 that was really aesthetically well done. That we did talk about on this podcast before. Oh, yes. And that's Ghost in the Shell, correct? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was that was really good looking. I will say that much it for sure. It was incredibly good looking. And I believe I gave it a C plus. I'm, I'm going to stick with that. I'm gonna I'd agree with that. At the very least, an anime film did not bomb. Uh, for sure. I think maybe... Maybe Lego Batman wouldn't be my 100% pick uh, for 2017. It's definitely a really good one, but I think it's a big contender between Lego Batman and I had a lot of fun with Baby Driver as well because that is probably... I mean, people have loved Edgar Wright, but I've always felt like his Cornetto films were very cult-following. Is that unless, unless you're someone who can really parse what English actors are saying it's not going to be a crazy big thing for you. This is the one where we've got, you know, John Hamm and Ansel can't pronounce his name, but you know, that young kid and well, Freddie, someone, 
someone who yeah <laughs> it, it's an it's still an enjoyable film and the the soundtrack is great and if you're if you're uncomfortable for obvious reasons about watching the film now if you haven't i'd say take a look at the soundtrack because it's absolutely worth a purchase i mean if for nothing else bell bottoms by the blues explosion track one on disc one that's right folks this is a two disc soundtrack take a look we had some games this year too, David. We All the games. Did. We had Any a games. lot of games. I think And the promise of more. I've been seeing a lot of people that are much more savvy in the gaming world than I that are really heralding 2017 as a hell of a year for video games. The Holy issue shit. of microtransactions aside. That aside, mm-hmm. this has been a pretty banner year for video games. Uh, and I'll let you talk about that first, because I only have like a few points. Oh, yeah. All right. Well, uh, I know one thing that uh, isn't always necessarily new uh, to everybody, but it was new to me, and uh, that is the Sonic the Hedgehog franchise. I decided this was the year. Well, damn it, I'm jumping in. And while folks might recall that I was going to do the the Sonic Marathon starting in November 2017. You know, first of all, I'm still really bad at Sonic 1, but aside from that, uh, you know, other things happened that I'll get into. But let's not talk about the faults of that. Let's talk about the fact that what opened my eyes to the franchise and what made me realize it was loads of fun, not just aesthetically or through the memes I knew from uh, Jaleel White's appearance and the cartoons sonic mania happened fairly early on i think it was a may it was may 2017 really great game that is david i know that this is this is you this is this is your baby so um i'll let you just kind of give a little overview tell us again tell all the folks tell the whole internet what made sonic mania so special in this year of gaming because it is special it's not just another sonic game oh man sonic mania Uh, just from the fact that it came from a independent developer who worked on the sonic mobile games that sega brought in and said hey make this do the thing you You love this series you have the resources we'll give you what you need to the fact that even now, Sega still recognizes that Sonic games always have great music and great remixes of its own music. And the opening theme song that I was just listening to before we started recording, uh, and the fact that at the Christmas party that my anime club does, uh, the, the restaurant owner has a, a young daughter and I saw her looking at the opening video sequence to Sonic Mania, and she was absolutely enamored by the opening sequence to Sonic Mania. And the, what she saw was what I saw, and just the fact that mechanically, it's perfect. Visually, it's perfect. With audio, it's perfect. I don't want to be the obvious choice and say Sonic Mania is my game of the year, but it just hit everything so perfectly. And it 
is the best 2D Sonic game that has ever come out. It is the best. And oh wow. It's it's truly outstanding. I I love every exciting and frustrating and maddening second of it. I love that it is not too self-referential, but just enough. It is an embracing of the Sonic fandom, just like Sonic Forces with the character creation. It embraces everything that Sonic is and has become. And it's just so damn fun to be platforming and have momentum and speed and hit the badniks. It just, it just was just so perfectly well done. Sonic Mania, it's just, it's everything that I hoped for. It was, it truly lived up to the hype, 100%. I, I would agree with that. And I didn't even have hype for it when it came out, but I've played it and that's what, encouraged me to take a look at the rest of them because this is my thesis of the year internet you can't rely on what the internet tells you i would highly recommend that you take a look for yourself if you're questioning something if you're curious about something if you see a headline and it gives you strong opinions don't tweet about your opinions of said headline read the article Watch the video, play the game, and that's what I'm planning on doing because with some exceptions, such as the infamous 06, I hear all kinds of opinions ranging from it's the worst to it's the best for every single Sonic game. I am not kidding. Basically, every single one, I have heard everything ranging from it is the best ever to do not play that one because it doesn't count. And so that's why, except for 06, although I'm having, I'm feeling like I'm going to have a little bit more fun with that one than I will with uh, Sonic Lost World because I get motion sick with that kind of a game style. If it's not Mario Galaxy, if it's not Mario Galaxy where they've actually handled the camera well, I'm going to get motion sick. I guarantee it. I'm going to have to void my stomach before I go and yeah, play if, that. If you do have that kind of issue with Sonic Law, playing Sonic Lost World, I, I don't recommend. No, 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 no. There we go. Uh, but that being said, Sonic Mania opened my eyes to the series as a game rather than just uh, just a brand or an aesthetic or a show or however else it can be permutated. And... Uh, I'd say that Sonic absolutely works really great in uh, the classic format of what I played thus far. Did you get past Marble Zone, Jackson? I got past Marble Zone Act 2, so I feel like I am getting there. Right. <laughs> I'm on my way. <laughs> Does the uh, level select code work? No, unfortunately. Oh, um, boom. I I know I'm I'm very saddened, but we'll keep we'll keep moving on. We'll keep pressing forward because you'll, anything, you'll get the muscle memory. You'll get the muscle yep. memory. I'm getting it. a hang of it now because I've I finally found what works for me to do that at end of the uh, the sign spin jump. Like I'm able to get uh, enough air afterwards to consistently get the giant ring if it's there. So I'm I'm happy about that. So you learn what we learn. What did we learn? 
it's it's all uh, it's all about the muscle memory and learning and relearning. Because as David says, it's not about going fast. The reward is going fast. And that's why you gotta go fast, because it's fun. Mm-hmm. So so through that whole thesis, uh, does that mean that Sonic Mania is your game of the year? Or did you have fun with something else? I played quite a f- I played more video games in 2017 than I've played in a long time, including feeling my dormant love of fighting games reborn in full. This was a hell yes. of a year for the fighting game genre, Jackson. It, it Holy really, shit. really was. We thought we put Soul Calibur to death and we didn't. Oh. It's alive. Soul Calibur's very much alive. Uh, and, and not that- just that. Tekken 7, uh, I just saw recently that it sold over 3 million copies. Holy crap. Uh, of course, Mortal Kombat XL still going strong. Marvel vs. Capcom Infinite, Street Fighter V Arcade Edition. It seems like Capcom might be trying to fix some things, so that'll make some people happy. Uh, Bla- Blaze Blue and Guilty Gear still going. Uh, and like I said, this was a year of fighting games. It really was. With as many great games that came out this year, the fighting game genre, especially with the rise of esports uh, and how fighting games were always a little separate from that, the fighting game world has really picked up noticeably. I, I see it. I have people on Twitter from like the Drunk Kids Gaming guys and, and the Diamond Club people that, that I know from the Night Attack podcast. I'm kind of their fighting game guy. But I'm seeing people say to me, hey, I'm about to get Street Fighter. Hey, DJM, I heard you like Tekken. I want to check out Tekken. I had one guy ask me about whether he should get a fight stick or not. And I was like, wow, this is really <laughs> happening. This is really, really happening. The rise now, of fighting games is real. And just for myself, just for myself, playing Tekken 7 and like relearning Tekken again uh in a lot of ways fighting games are a lot like martial arts where there's practice and learning and making mistakes and relearning and adapting and improvisation it's it's a lot like martial arts that way and i reached a point recently with Tekken 7 where i felt that i was actually able to do something with my main li chalan that i almost never do and that was actually take an online match because something that i have not disclosed until recently is that i have some serious online anxiety it takes a lot of mental preparation for me to go into an online match i have to really make sure that the toxic sewer of online gaming doesn't screw with my head before I go online. And I am the same I, damn way. When I did, I actually won a match. Like the the match that I played, I won it. And then when I was done, I, I had to leave because my hand was shaking for like five minutes afterwards. Because and this might be crazy to some people that do this all the time, but since I don't my adrenaline was running at a level that I didn't think was possible. 
and I won the match, so I just had to leave and decompress and calm down. And the fact that I was able to get over that hump and play a match online and then winning, it was it was wild. And for a game like Tekken to inspire that in me again, that felt really special. It made me want to go back to Blaze Blue. It made me want to go back to Injustice 2. God, I forgot about Injustice 2. Injustice oh. blew up. Oh yeah, that up, happened. Jack. Injustice has blown up. It it has been a supernova for fighting games. We've had a lot of of one of one player campaign games that came out that I I will mention myself, but fighting games, it was like, "Hey guys, we know you've been having a good time by yourselves, but it's time to stop playing with yourselves cuz look at what we got. We've got DLC. We've got new characters. We've got crossovers and the promise of 2018 is looking bright. And look at very, all these games with high. their great story modes. Holy crap, the story modes. Mortal <gasps> Kombat X's story mode, Injustice's story mode, Tekken 7 story mode was all right. Well, we're not going to talk about Street Fighter or Marvel vs. Capcom's story modes. But again, Capcom's working on stuff. Capcom's mm-hmm. working on it, and that's okay. That That's a story, Jack. Yes. Capcom is actually working Legalized on Legalized Darkstalkers. Capcom is legalized dark stalkers. Maybe even dark stalkers. Maybe. I, I can only I can only shout that into the void until it happens. But Capcom, it looks like you are learning. It looks like it looks like people shouting in massive disapproval and outcry has finally reached your ears. So I can only hope. Legalize dark stalkers. Maybe put thank, thank you for learning game on the current gen consoles. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'd pl- I'd play Ace Attorney on the Switch. I'd play Ace Attorney on another console too. It would be great, actually. To uh, it would be a great move, I think, to port the Ace Attorney series onto uh, PC or otherwise, because that seems like a very PC friendly game. You know, oh, yeah. it worked well for mobile, and I think it could work well for PC as well. Definitely. It's it's definitely in that space. Uh, Not to mention, that- the 3DS titles really deserve uh, that kind of a port, because Agreed. the 3DS games are solid. Agreed. Uh, another game that ported really well to the PC, uh, Jack, I will let you have the floor, and I will oh, let yeah. you talk all you want, because you let me talk about Sonic and Star Trek and everything else. Jack, Cuphead. Cuphead. This is the best thing that happened in 2017 for me. I'm not kidding. This game has inspired so much out of myself, out of everything that happened. I have my own motivations and I have my own ways of doing things and I have my own imagination to carry me forward. But the thing that inspired me the most was a small group of people getting together and saying, hey, We're going to take six years to make a game, hand-drawn, pencil and paper, hand-inked by one woman. We're going to take out another mortgage on our house, and we're going to do this. And 2016 came and went, their projected year for release, and it wasn't happening. But then something magical happened. This 
once Xbox One exclusive became available on Steam and it became available to play on September 29th, 2017. And David, I haven't looked back. I keep coming back to it just kind of uh, mindlessly, especially when it turns out that Sonic is not going too well. And it's... I, I think this is one for the ages. I think this game, despite all of the hiccups that have happened because of journalism or with people maybe having difficulty with it, it looks like this is here to stay. And MDHR has stated that they are excited to work on another traditional animated game. For, for those of you who maybe are on the fence about it, this game is my Sonic Mania. It plays excellently. And the the physics are fantastic. Everything looks amazing in motion. It's just the right amount of difficult to really get you to continue to try and try and try. You have all the tools that you can possibly use to play the game. The soundtrack is hands down gorgeous. And, and my pick for best soundtrack. Although Sonic Mania did really get me. And Sonic Forces even had a fantastic soundtrack. But David, I have one love when it comes to music. I love a lot of music, but my favorite is always going to be jazz and ragtime. And this is hands down some really solid stuff. And none of that dubstep crap, none of that electro swing. This is straight up jazz. Analog recorded excellent excellent sound this game is undoubtedly a masterpiece and it deserves every award that it's won it's won best art direction i believe it was nominated for best soundtrack best indie release this has sold two million copies and over half of those were on steam and uh folks i just can't say much more other than i'm looking forward to uh sack winner in the upcoming january weekend because my god that's going to be a fun time to see what fans are doing for the cosplay scene that is a funny story david uh not only will i be cosplaying for this upcoming current convention not only will i be cosplaying cuphead for that with my with my little soul contract that states your name here and my mask and the Bluetooth speaker that I've modded to look like an old Victrola, all that good stuff. Not only is that happening, but uh, in another upcoming convention, I will get together something uh, that I think you might be personally uh, excited for. And that is I am going to actually get together a Sonic the Hedgehog cosplay. So that's another thing to look forward to in the upcoming wow. year. I've got the blue racing gear. I've got something that could possibly work as a wig. I've got the ears. We got them all made. We are we are are moving forward. You're you're <laughs> and the going only reason full I even, Sianic. That's amazing. It's going. And I even know a stand at the convention that it may debut at that has chili dogs for sale. <laughs> That is It'll be a incredible. lot of fun. That it's going to be a lot of fun. That is, as and, we used to say back in the day, way past cool, Jack. Way past cool. But it's going to be fun. I, I do want to talk about Cuphead a little bit myself. Uh, because one, first of all, I have no idea what Electro Swing is, but Cuphead's soundtrack is outstanding. 
And two, yes. what I really appreciate about the success story of Cuphead is that one, I think it really speaks to the idea of what happens when the starving artist, as it were, gets that big break. And it's the breakthrough and it suddenly just works and all of a sudden you're a hero and you've won. And MDHR really had pulled that off. Uh, Like you said, they, they put a second mortgage on their house and they put everything into this and then boom, it worked. It was a success. They won. And I think that speak can speak to a lot of people out there that if you, yes, you will make sacrifices, but there is a chance that you will get that hit. And when you hit it out of the park and it's a grand slam, you will be truly special. That feeling when you, that one thing that you dedicate your, so much of your life to becomes a smash hit that that's a truly special feeling and and I give credit to MDHR for that and number 2 I, I want to say that I think Cuphead did a lot of good uh, in the space of the idea of taking video games as an art form yes because Cuphead was discussed the exact same way TV shows movies, any other kind of creative medium was discussed. It was discussed uh, positively. It was criticized. And just the entire conversation around Cuphead that I saw had almost nothing to do with the video game itself. It had more to do with the overarching meaning of Cuphead's existence and not so much what Cuphead is as a video game but more of a why Cuphead and when you get to that point with your game where it is discussed more as a piece of art rather than just another video game that's when you've hit something really really special and MDHR again deserves a ton of credit and a ton of recognition because yes, Cuphead is special and it will stand the test of time. I believe that myself, uh, mostly because a lot of people might never beat it. But <laughs> again, speaking as someone who has observed the discussion around the game, this is definitely a check in the box of video games as art. Cuphead is an artful video game to the highest degree. And Studio MDHR deserves to be recognized for it. Absolutely. It's 100% dictated by the aesthetic rather than the technology and limitations dictating the aesthetic. Uh, You know, the reason why... Mario has overalls and a mustache and a hat was because the limitations and lack of visibility on a pixelated character. That is why those things exist to this day. But this was a group of people that said, no, we're going to make the computer listen to what we have to say and make it look the way we want it to look. And they have 100% succeeded. 
and it is extremely artful. And I think if anyone uh, wants to hear a little bit more discussion on the subject, and especially you, David, since you did bring up the discussion of it as as a piece of art, which I 100% believe it absolutely is, uh, GDC actually had uh, Jake Clark from Studio MDHR discuss the animation process and philosophy uh, on YouTube. You can find that on GDC's YouTube channel. And one of the things that really stuck with me is that at the very end of his discussion, he says, now why did we pick the 1930s cartoon art style? And then he clicks to the next slide and it's just maybe six or seven gigantic animated uh, GIFs of animation loops and characters and figures from that era and says simply just look at this and i think that's really all that has to be said it really does marry well and he was in fact shocked and made made mention of that in his gdc panel that he was surprised no one's really done it before and uh it's been it's been extremely inspiring to see what they've done and it's worked it's worked wonders on my own confidence and my own drive to create something and to work on that. And I will get into that a little bit because I know we've got some uh, some little life stories to to round out this thing with. But we we had some stuff happen in the uh, in the world of uh, of America and outwards in 2017 as well. And uh, David, I know you got loads to say on that. So I will let you begin with that. If you'd will. Oh, I don't know. I think I've said pretty much all I need to say on my Twitter account. Uh, I'm even backing down on that in that regard. Because I think 2017 wore a lot of people out. Exhausted, dead, tired. So I will say that the one thing that that really caught my eye was the level of positivity that I saw. In one particular moment, because the Marvel film universe does a really good job of getting people excited for their work, but I have not seen the level of excitement that that I have seen for Black Panther. I, Mm -hmm. when it comes to the Marvel movies whether it's Guardians of the Galaxy, the Avengers, Captain America, they get some people excited, but not everyone. And as someone who isn't totally in love with the Marvel Universe, I'm kind of eh on them all. But with Black Panther, just the fact that it exists today is something really surprising. Like, we all knew that the Black Panther movie was coming, And we all knew seeing Black Panther and Captain America Civil War uh, and seeing the end of the movie where they were in Wakanda. We all knew that Black Panther was going to be a thing. But it still kind of catches me off guard. Uh, In the same way that in the 1960s, there were comics for Black Panther and Black Lightning, who's getting a TV show on the CW soon. And because of where we are right now, Seeing not just people that are like me, 
people that are of my race excited for Black Panther, it kind of feels that way about the comic books, uh, how, how it must have felt back in the day to where it, here we have this particular hero, Black Panther, that everyone is looking forward to. The trailers have been off the charts. The soundtrack they've been using in the movies has been off the charts. The casting in the movies has been, so far, off the charts. It's being directed by Ryan Coogler, who won an Oscar for directing Creed. And it's just everything about it so far just looks absolutely phenomenal. And the thing that really caught me off guard about this more than anything was that my sister, Maymuna, she is super introverted, but she was the one that pre-ordered my ticket to Black Panther when it premieres in 2018. She pre-ordered it for herself, me, and my brother-in-law, and then texted me saying, I'm not messing around. This is something that is so important to her. It reminded me, uh, to make another comparison, it reminded me of the way my mother's generation felt about Lieutenant Uhura in the Star Trek original series. It, it, it feels like that. I can only imagine seeing a fictional character that looks like us on such a stage. Uh, and in the same way when I saw the trailer for the Infinity Wars, and in the latter half of the trailer, you see T'Challa, uh, Chadwick Boseman, Black Panther. He's the one that's kind of in control of everything that's happening. And they're fighting this big battle in Wakanda. And it's really kind of putting Wakanda on the center stage, which just to me feels so exciting and feels so cool. And also on top of this, my sister is going to be coming back from Benin in Nigeria uh, right before Black Panther comes out. So she's just going to be... Like, I'm more excited for my sister to see Black Panther than I am about seeing Black Panther myself. Just everything about Black Panther even existing in the world today, right now, also with a nod to Black Lightning in on the CW, Black Lightning's getting a TV series, which is awesome. The Black Lightning TV series looks like it's going to be really, really cool. But just that Black Panther exists on this big stage in the Marvel Universe to me is truly amazing just on every level, socially, film-wise, just everything about Black Panther existing. It just makes me excited to say 2016 was pretty not great. 2017 was kind of a car crash. 2018... Maybe it's going to recover. Maybe it's going to recover. We're looking up. I I will say, despite the fact that I am not into Marvel at all, and it's not because I prefer DC and I really wish people would stop comparing them because they cater to different demographics and they are on different levels of quality in terms of their theatrical releases. I will admit that, but they are not really worth comparing. Uh, I will say that I I was dragged to Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. I will not require being dragged to Black Panther. 
I will actively go out and see Black Panther by myself or with a friend because it excites me as well. It sounds like it's just going to be a decent uh, and maybe and maybe even groundbreaking in many respects uh, from the usual mold of Marvel. I'm definitely more excited to see it than I was to see something like Thor Ragnarok or Spider-Man Homecoming, both of which I refused and neglected to see. I'm more looking forward to this because it stands out. And maybe there will come a time when it won't stand out. Maybe 2018 is the year where things will things will kind of uh, – maybe the fact that it will stand out will uh, usher in a new kind of consideration in Hollywood. In Hollywood, sorry, I didn't keep the joke up. If this means like Ryan Coogler will become the new director du jour, I'm all for it. Because I agree. He did he did Creed, that. and that was good enough for me. And mm-hmm. if Black Panther knocks it out of the park, as far as I'm concerned, Ryan Coogler will be my new Christopher Nolan. Ascend. Let Ryan Cougar ascend. I'm, I'm ready for it. I'm ready for it. I I'm very I'm very excited for many reasons as well. Um, I won't get too much into what I wanted to talk about news wise as well because I've also said my things and I've also just kept things to myself because as far as politics go, let's not. But one thing I'm extremely proud of everyone for whether it's in person or the internet, is that we've taken what's happened this year, all the things that have happened, goes without saying. And there's been a little bit of a turning on its head of that, of here are some miserable headlines, here are some terrible things, to guys, all these people that have become exposed for being shitty, all of these things that have been happening, all of this negativity... Fuck you. Let's talk about the people that are still decent human beings. Let's talk about who is out there on the sidelines, really working hard. Let's talk about the celebrities that didn't harm them. Let's talk about the people who aren't pedophiles. Let's let them be known. And I'm really just overjoyed that that was a big focus. We didn't ignore anyone who needed to be exposed but we uh certainly also at the same time there were countermeasures to all of this negativity and one of the ones i recall seeing i should have gotten the actual uh link to the tweet so i could tell who who particularly talked about it but it was uh, a gentleman who spoke of robin williams uh and i think as each year approaches and, and reaches an end, I miss him more and more because he is an icon that we desperately could use. But I keep him alive in my heart. I absolutely do. I I will be as cheesy as possible for Robin Williams because that is, that is the pillar that I hold myself to. Uh, this fellow who, who tweeted about him to say, listen, Robin was always a really cool dude, uh, mentioned that he owned a comic, a comic shop and his employees had comics that were published there. Sometimes Robin Williams had a discount with them and he refused to use it. He would always pay full price 
if an employee had a comic out, he would buy it. And the next time he would come around, he would seek out that employee and tell them what they thought about that. And given the light of what's been happening with my own comics process, that is absolutely something I can see as being so necessary and so good. Too good for this world, even. I would say. I just think Robin Robin Williams is too good for the world that we are living in. But 2018, 2018 is still looking bright. I didn't even i didn't even mention while we were talking about all the games is that we've had so many great games that uh agdq awesome games done quick uh this upcoming week is going to be fan freaking tastic i can already see it i mean just along the lines of things like a hat in time that have been in the speedrunning community for for years before they were even complete in their alpha stages mario odyssey already having a huge speedrun community and yes cuphead you can beat Cuphead at half an hour. I'm what? looking forward to a lot of things in 2018. Yes. Yes. You My. can beat Cuphead at a half an hour. Okay. That's impressive. <laughs> I, I've done, so far I've done 45. <laughs> oh, man. It's possible. It is possible. Um. But David, we've we've had some we've had some difficulties during 2017 ourselves. But yeah, uh, yeah, we have. I think we've powered through it, and um, I guess I'll just go ahead and go first, real quick, because I think yours is a great way to close us off. But uh, folks, it's been really tough mentally for me this year. A lot of past regrets. Uh, very Bojack style, did come back to haunt me and hurt me far more than I ever expected to. I anticipated them and they still hurt me. Um, lots of regrets, lots of losing people to uh, to the ether, people coming out and saying they hate me. But if there's one thing that really stuck through is that I think I really peaked this year, 2017, in October, or as I knew it, Inktober. I never really made more than five comic pages at the same time. I'm not good at that. I'm more suited to illustrations, uh, single page compositions, boring stuff. I can't really sequential art very well. But I pushed myself this year. I said, I'm doing it. And if I need to, I know some ways to work around it if I can't make the one page a day thing. People thought when I would tell them, hey, I'm doing Inktober and I'm doing a comic page a day, they thought, oh, you mean a comic panel a day? No, a comic page. And I did it, David. I told myself, oh, I'll just draw something else if I don't make the, the deadline before I have to go to work each day. And I never had to do that. I made a 31-page comic uh, about a lot of a lot of autobiographical situation in there, but also just uh, just a general feel of what it is to uh, get close to people. And um, for those of you who aren't familiar with it, I, I would suggest you can check out my Inktober tag or how to get ahead in life. That is on my Twitter, D Tyler D. 
and uh, let me know what you think, because it's really meant a lot to me. And while the process for trying to get this thing uh, published in a way that you can actually put in your hands has been a little difficult because I'm not cutting corners, but I am trying to save some money because it is expensive to do this. I'm taking my time with that. I thought November would be it, and there have been more roadblocks. It's looking like 2018, and I'm not knowing when exactly in 2018, but a comic will be made. It will be there. There will be extra things that you can have with that comic. But the fact that I've actually made something is it, – it really it, – it's, it's done wonders for my self-esteem, particularly as an artist in a, a world where it really feels like you're being taken for granted in that respect. It really helped in a lot of ways. And I can't thank people enough for letting me know what they thought about it on the internet or in person. You've all been absolutely fantastic for that. And you've kept me from really, really deep brinks of near suicidal despair this year. I am not kidding. I like to personally thank you guys for that. Jack, since day one... Uh, literally within minutes of our first conversation on the internet, I knew that you were talented and I knew that I wanted to collaborate with you on something and not one moment has I had any doubts about making you my podcast co-host. Not for a second. I know for a fact that the reason that I make sure everyone knows what Jack is doing, what you're doing, is because I believe in your work. For Inktober, I read every day of how to get ahead in life. And I made sure to retweet it as often as I could. Because I genuinely believe in your talent. And... You're still here for a reason. And this podcast is still here for a reason. Because everyone knows that this podcast was almost gone. It was almost done. Delta Juliet Mike Media was almost done. It was almost gone forever. I nearly shut down everything. Uh, in April of 2017... Through creative issues, through not being able to get things off the ground, I decided that it was time to put Delta Juliet Mike Media to bed, and I said that I was going to quote-unquote retire from internet content creation, that I was done. And unless something really sparked me, there was no more DJM. EJM was gone and done. We fast forward to May of 2017. And May going into June, uh, I experienced the lowest of lows and the highest of highs. Uh, it was uh, May 24th. Well, let, let's not go there yet. Uh, earlier in May, I had decided that I was going to move out of the apartment I was living in at the time. And moved to one that was a little less expensive in the same area. 
And my dad and I uh, had agreed that while that apartment was being built and renovated, I could stay at his place for about a month or so. And that was the game plan. From May and into June, I would stay with my dad for about a month, and then I'd move into my new place, and everything would be hunky-dory. Unfortunately, May 24th, plans changed. Because on May 24th, my dad passed away. And that was, without a doubt, the worst day of my life. My dad lived 78 good long years. Uh, My dad, Don Majors, he touched a lot of people's lives. Uh, I was fortunate enough to deliver the eulogy at his funeral. And it was at a very tumultuous time in my own life because... At the time, I had already moved out of my previous apartment, and for that brief pocket of time between late May and early June, I really didn't have a home. I was technically homeless, but the apartment complex that my dad lived in, they knew that I had lived there. They knew that that is the place... I grew up in, the landlady knew who I was and remembered me as a child. She said, you can stay there for the remaining time on the lease, which was the remainder of the month of June. So I stayed there while my oldest sister and I, we took care of the family affairs involving my father. And May 31st, that was the day of my dad's funeral. I had all of my belongings in storage because the family was staying at my dad's place and I had just moved out of my old place, May 31st. So it was my suit for the funeral and nothing else that I had on me for that day and my car. Uh, And the thing was is that this was also around the time Uh, of ColossalCon, the convention in Sandusky, Ohio. And this was a convention that I had spent the last few years struggling to get to, whether it was through car issues or financial issues or or whatever. And I had said uh, on the day that my father died, I had told the people that I was staying with at my anime club, said to my friend Catherine, who lives in Japan but had come back to Michigan because she's from here, for Colossal Con, I let them all know what happened, and to their credit, they were all extremely understanding that even though with money involved and everything, this happened, I have to stay. But about a week before my father passed away, and even my oldest sister said to me, Uh, They both said, have a good time. Go to the convention. Go. And my sister had said to me, you did everything you needed to do. You did an amazing job. I will handle things from here. Go to the convention. Have fun. And after the funeral, I drove down to Ohio. It was that day. I picked up Catherine, and then we drove down to Ohio. And I have to say, when I talked about the lowest of lows, ColossalCon 2017 was the highest of highs. And 
my oldest sister, she even said right before I left, she said, I have a feeling you're going to have a pretty good time. And I did not realize how right she was. Because, one, it was seeing a really close friend of mine for the first time in in years, Catherine, because she lives in Japan. It was my first anime convention uh, after the really bad falling out I'd had with someone. Uh, and I had really considered that I might not be able to go to conventions anymore because she might say some things about me and I don't know. But this was with the anime club. They were all, they all welcomed me back. No problem. When I told them my family said I could go and I ended up having a really good time at Colossal Con. We went into the water park. We had some panels. I had fun with my first cosplay ever. And it was just a blast. Also, if I can speak to my brethren out there, my fellow dude, weeb brethren out there that are suffering and struggling, at Colossal Con, I met someone, I did the thing, I did the business, it happened. So to all of my fellow dudes out there that are struggling and feel like you might be under that forever alone category, or you may see yourself as as a zero out of ten, as I've said before, I believe in you because I've been there. I've done the thing. So I unlocked that achievement. I did the thing with someone at a convention. It can happen. I believe in you. And it was pretty fucking cool. And just the overall Colossal Con experience was really amazing. It was the most fun I'd had at a convention in a very, very long time. And and it reminded me why I started going to these things. It was such a release of energy that, no secret, I really needed at the time. And then... I was finally able to move into the place that I'm at currently after getting back and taking care of everything with my dad's final affairs and moving into my own place. I finally started to settle down and I started to feel the urge to make podcasts again. I heard from Jackie Hearn again. Uh, Kaz reached out and I felt like, hey, maybe it's time to bring this back. And Delta Juliet Mike Media is back in business, and I have decided that so far I'm keeping to my second half of 2017 resolution of moisturizing frequently, because Lord knows 2017 has put a lot of stress on DJM. So I'm moisturizing to keep everything nice and smooth. But 2017 was, whew, whew. It was, it was a nightmare in some cases and in other cases, the complete opposite. It was the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. This has but been I'm a lo- roller coaster. I'm looking forward to what's next. As am I. And for those of you out there who are doubting, uh, much like David's address, I'd like to put this out there for you 
that if you are facing any kind of difficulty, if you are struggling emotionally, remember this. 2016 was the lowest of lows. 2017 has been, in many ways, a vast improvement on that. Do not forget what has happened. Don't forget the highs of this year. If you forget anything, forget your own personal lows. Forget those. You need to continue to move upward. And if I can leave you with anything, I think I'll I'll leave you with one last nod to Bojack. Uh, I remember this because I think it's genuinely good advice. It's hard, but it gets easier. You just have to do it every day. And I see a lot of passionate people out there. And I hear from you guys. And I talk to you guys. And I'll see you and quietly watch from afar. And I know you. And you know me. And all I can say is, you all have something to bring. I have something to bring. This podcast has something to bring. And we can continue to exist because that is the biggest middle finger that you can give to anybody who is trying to oppress you and push you down. The things that are working against you are made impotent if you are still there and still surviving. So don't forget that and go forward every day, even if it's just being there, even if you didn't get anything done, the fact that you're still alive means something and it gets easier but you have to do it every day so with that djm will be rooting for you exactly as will i and this podcast is absolutely a high point each time that it comes forward and there's going to be another bright year ahead of us and you can listen to us on deltajuliamike.com we're still alive. We're still there. And you can listen to us in that fancy new age way with your fancy little AI. You can ask Alexa to play APOS. Isn't that right, David? Most certainly can. We are available via TuneIn. And remember to say please. You can also find David Majors at all the fancy little social media spots that you will at Just Call Me DJM. You could find me at Jack D. Tyler D. onto Twitters. Rock Behind the Wheel onto Instaham. And very briefly, I may be writing some stuff about being a decent human and even some animation criticism in long form on the Tumblrs. And I will link those on the other social media platforms. But if you can't wait, that's going to be at doctor-junkenstein-i-presume. And I probably need to change that since I've had such a long hiatus. I can probably get away with fixing that to be something a little less mouthfully. How about Yoshi Star Thank you so Star much for listening. Spirit, Jack. What do you think of that? <laughs> YouTube. <laughs> YouTube, did you fix it yet? Because I've tried a couple times this last year. Let's see. Let's look up. Count Jack N-O-I-R-E at YouTube. That would be that would be the highlight of my year right there. Everything would make sense again if you could do that, YouTube. Uh, 
Uh, nope. YouTube.com slash user slash Yoshi Star Spirit. I'm beholden to the end. You know what, guys? I'll, uh, I'll, I'll take it. I'll take it. <laughs> it's still there. I mean, let's, I'm going to be honest with you guys. This is my last little thing I'm going to plug this year, but, uh, if, if I can handle Yoshi Star Spirit, one of my biggest inspirations and lifelong friends and inspirations still goes by Homestar Runner Tron on YouTube. And he is absolutely 100% worth looking up. And a lot of his stuff has little, if nothing, to do with HomestarRunner.com or Tron. Well, his humor is kind of Homestar Runner-esque, but that's about it. So I guess I'll live with it. Are you guys happy? <laughs> My resolution is to not care. Well, it's been a year, and we on APOS are still around, and we will still continue to be, because that is what the anime podcast of some sort must do. We must soldier on. Happy New Year from myself, Jack D. Tyler D. And David, would you like to sign us off? Until next time, cool cats and cuties, the anime podcast of some sort will see you and listen to you in 2018. Thanks for listening.